Tonight, the finale of historic hearings. The Prime Minister defends his decision to invoke the Emergencies Act. Justin Trudeau's judgment call to end the convoy protests. What if the worst had happened in those following days? And the note that he says was the tipping point. The search for Black Friday bargains. You only buy things that are 50% off. What's in store under the shadow of sky-high inflation? Plus, Canada and Croatia in World Cup battle mode. No matter what pictures are uh, posted in tabloids, um, it's all going to come down to what happens in those 90 minutes on the field. A ramped-up rivalry ahead of Sunday's showdown. It can always serve as a motivation for us. CTV National News with Omar Sachedina, reporting tonight from Doha. Anticipation is high here in Qatar before every game, and this was also a highly anticipated day in Canada. Good evening, everyone. Canadians were given a rare view into the decision-making process at the highest level in Ottawa today. The Prime Minister revealed what led him to invoke the Emergencies Act for the first time ever. We were at a moment where this was the right thing to do. Justin Trudeau says he was concerned about the threat of violence from convoy protesters and the lack of a plan to remove them. Trudeau was the final witness at the inquiry. CTV's senior political correspondent Glenn McGregor takes us through his testimony. Passing a handful of protesters on a street once jammed with big rigs, the most anticipated witness arrived. Our next and final witness is Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. The highly unusual appearance at a commission of inquiry by a sitting Prime Minister began with Justin Trudeau describing how he got a picture of the early days of the Freedom Convoy protest from Ottawa-area Liberal MPs. The intimidation and harassment of people for wearing masks uh, to uh, a very concerning story about uh, folks um, disrupting the, the nearby uh, homeless shelter and soup kitchen. A reminder, he said, of the election campaign four months earlier. The intensity, the anger, um, the, the hateful rhetoric. After the first weekend of the protest, he spoke with newly chosen interim Conservative leader Candace Bergen, who had publicly supported the convoy. She told him she agreed with his goal to get protesters to go home, according to a transcript of the call. With blockades cutting off crucial border crossings, Trudeau spoke with the U.S. president. I wanted to reassure uh, President Biden that Canada was going to um, we're going to be able to solve for this. Trudeau worried about the possibility protests could turn violent. We saw trucks uh, used as, as uh, potential weapons, certainly in, um, uh, in Ottawa, with their, their presence and unknown uh, interiors. There was the use of uh, children as human shields, uh, deliberately. He described losing patience with the Ottawa police unmoved by their plan to take enforcement actions. It was not even in the most generous of characterizations a plan for how they were going to end the occupation in Ottawa. He admitted though he hadn't read it. Obviously, no, then, I, I rely I, I, on the inputs of uh, the experts around me. A string of meetings with his ministers and advisors culminated on February 13th when cabinet agreed he should consult with provincial premiers leading to a conference call with them the next morning. I went uh, around, the, uh, around the table across the country uh, to hear from each of them on their 
reflections, their inputs, um, their concerns. Van Trudeau received the decision memo from the clerk of the Privy Council. I did not make up my mind until uh, the note from the clerk was in front of me and it was in black and white that the uh, pub public service uh, made a formal recommendation that I invoke the Emergencies Act. Before signing the order, he said he considered what might occur if he didn't. He evoked the image of women in Ottawa trying to block convoy vehicles on their street. How would I explain it to the family of a police officer who was killed or a, a, a grandmother who got run over stopping, trying to stop a truck? Trudeau was asked why he never offered to meet with anti-mandate protesters. It was clear that it wasn't that they just wanted to be heard. They wanted to be obeyed. In cross-examination by a lawyer representing convoy organizers, he was pressed about comments that had so inflamed them. And calling the unvaccinated racists and misogynists. I did not call people who were unvaccinated names. When did you and your government start to become so afraid of your own citizens? That's a very I unfair... I am not, and we are not. The remark provoking an outburst in the hearing room from convoy supporters. Thank you. Uh, if there's any more trouble, that side of the room is going to be expelled. On the central question facing the inquiry, whether to use the law for the first time in its history, the Prime Minister said he had no doubts. I am absolutely, absolutely serene and confident um, that I made the right choice. With the hearings now wrapped, Commissioner Paul Rouleau will write a report that could suggest changes to the Emergencies Act and possibly reveal whether he shares the Prime Minister's assessment that invoking it was the right choice. Omar. A significant day at the inquiry. All right, Glenn McGregor in Ottawa tonight. Glenn, thank you. So here is where we are after six weeks. 76 witnesses have now testified at the inquiry. The prime minister, seven of his cabinet ministers, and three key people in his inner circle, including his chief of staff. Just an extraordinary six weeks. So let's bring in Ottawa Bureau Chief Joyce Napier for more. Joyce, put this into perspective for us. Other prime ministers have testified at inquiries before. What makes today unique? Well, Omar, Justin Trudeau is the first prime minister to invoke this act, a law that has been sitting, imagine, on the shelf for 34 years. So the questions now are, did he make his case? Well, he explained why he invoked the act calmly and clearly, choosing at times even to answer in French strategically, even if all questions were in English. So did he justify using the heaviest tool available to end the convoy occupation? Well, the short answer is he did, but politically. So will it damage Trudeau's reputation? Will he pay a political price? Unlikely, regardless of the judge's conclusions, opinion polls show a majority of Canadians were in favor of invoking this act. But this will still be part of Justin Trudeau's legacy. Previous prime minister, including John A. Macdonald and Paul Martin, have testified publicly at commissions, but it is rather unusual in our country. So the public hearings that took place here in Ottawa are required by the Emergencies Act. And this was a rare glance at how this government reacted through testimony, text, messages and emails and a lot of confusion when confronted by an unprecedented protest. 
Omar. All right, Joyce Napier in Ottawa tonight. Joyce, thank you for this. Canada's top doctor addressed the triple threat of respiratory illnesses plaguing the country today and says the influenza cases have risen even more sharply over the last week. CTV's Heather Butts on the children most at risk and the ongoing concerns about a shortage of medicine. Two weeks into this year's flu epidemic, a dramatic spike in cases. This is what a typical season looks like this year, an early and sharp rise. Based on past season trends, we could see ongoing high levels of influenza activity for many weeks to come. Cases are unusually high among children and teenagers, with more than 200 in hospital. It's because of soaring hospitalizations, Quebec announced today the flu shot will be free for everyone. If we can get some of them to be vaccinated and lower our risk uh, of increase the cases that we'll get to the hospital, it might be a good idea. Previously only free for those deemed at risk, Quebec was the only province where people had to pay out of pocket to get the shot. So I'll take it either way, even if it's for money or not. I think it should have always been free. In Ontario, there is fear even more kids will land in overcrowded emergency rooms as some pediatricians say they'll stop virtual care next month. A change in fee structure will see doctors receiving less money when treating someone virtually who is not a regular patient. It becomes untenable for most physicians, especially most pediatricians, to be able to continue to offer that kind of service. Family physicians have the ability to use uh, virtual care when appropriate. But 1.8 million Ontarians don't have a family doctor. The Kentors use a virtual clinic to get care when they need it quickly. Why go through all this and why create these restrictions? Um, if you need to see a doctor, you should be able to see a doctor. A lack of children's cold and flu medication is also to blame for increased hospital visits. Canada's health minister says more than a million bottles of imported medication is already in the country and an additional 500,000 units will arrive in the coming weeks. Omar. All right, Heather, thank you. No province is enforcing the use of masks despite the wave of viral illnesses. But Alberta has gone a step further, banning mask mandates in schools. We're just not going to normalize these kind of extreme measures every single respiratory virus season. School boards can no longer force students to mask up and can't close down classrooms for online learning. What about this makes it safer for kids when you don't have the tools to enact in a public health crisis? The changes are effective immediately. And here at the World Cup, Brazil's doctor has confirmed one of soccer's biggest stars will miss the team's next match. Neymar's on his way. Neymar suffered an ankle injury in Brazil's win last night. He will stay with the team while undergoing treatment. Iran ended their silent protest today, singing the national anthem on the field before a 2-0 win against Wales. Iran's next game is against the U.S., who had a scoreless draw today with England. And Team Canada is amped up for its next game, a pivotal match Sunday against Croatia, who were the 2018 finalists. An unexpected controversy in the lead-up has now put Canada's coach on the front page of a Croatian tabloid. CTV's Heather Wright has more on the anticipation. Heather. Omar, John Herdman's comments about Croatia may end up giving Canada's next opponent some motivation as the two teams get set to play on Sunday. Following Canada's 1-0 loss to Belgium, Herdman gathered his players in a huddle to give them a pep talk after a game many say Canada should have won. I just showed them they belong here, told them they belong here, and we're going to go and F Croatia. 
Those comments drawing this response from a tabloid newspaper in Croatia, colorfully asking whether Herbman and Team Canada can back up that statement. The response from the Croatian team has been more subdued. Laura said that uh, if that's his uh, way of motivating his team, uh, why not? We don't really concern ourselves with that. It can only serve as a motivation for us. Team Canada is also taking this all in stride, embracing the extra hype around this game. We knew that our backs were up against the wall in this game no matter what. And, you know, we don't mind if it gets built up a little bit in the media. You know, there's a little bit of, you know, tabloid fever. It's, I think it's a little bit of fun. It gets a little more, you know, just excitement around the matchup. Croatia is ranked 12th in the world and has never lost a second match at any international tournament. Canada needs at least a tie in Sunday's match to keep their dream of making it to the round of 16 alive. Omar. All right, fingers crossed. Heather Wright here in Doha. Heather, thank you. And earlier tonight, I took a walk with soccer Olympic gold medalist Janine Becky, who is here as a TSN analyst. We looked ahead to Sunday's match. That conversation is coming up a little later. Here in Doha, it's early Saturday morning, but in Canada, it's still Friday, or what retailers label Black Friday. And this year, almost one-third of Canadians plan to shop, a 15% drop from last year. CTV's Vanessa Lee on the weight of inflation on Canadian wallets. The hunt for bargains began before dawn. We are now opening for Black Friday. These Montrealers lined up for shoes hours before the doors opened. Some of these shoes go for like 700, 500, 600, and they put out like 120 for Jordans. With inflation reaching levels not seen in nearly four decades, shoppers are more cost conscious than ever. They might spend their money a little bit differently this year. They are going to be looking for more meaningful, more practical gifts. They might choose to buy for fewer people. From electronics to clothes, Retailers are offering deep discounts to entice browsers to buy during the critical holiday shopping season. We only buy things that are 50% off or 40. The Retail Council of Canada says Black Friday is now the biggest shopping day of the year for Canadians, picking up on America's Thanksgiving tradition where camping out is not unusual. We got here at 7 p.m. last night, so some of us even left Thanksgiving dinner a little early. Unlike previous years, fewer Canadians rushed across the border today in search of savings. The deals, like, they're not that great. They're actually um, all online. I could have done this all online. <laughs> but don't tell my husband. <laughs> Overall, crowds were thinner, with Black Friday deals now stretched over several days. Last year, again, there was some shortages in terms of supply chain disruption. And this year, there is a little bit of the opposite, a lot of excess inventory for some specific categories. So we expect retailers to be more aggressive than last year. The bargain hunting is only getting started with the spending shifting online on Cyber Monday. Omar. Vanessa Lee in Montreal tonight. Vanessa, thanks. A Virginia Walmart store, the site of a mass shooting, is still a crime scene. And today, police revealed the shooter legally purchased the 9mm handgun hours before he used it to kill six co-workers, then himself. Time for a short break, but when we come back, when the runway runs out. The plane just starts bouncing off the tarmac. A rough landing in Ontario and the passengers who walked away.
Welcome back to Doha. About a 12-hour flight from Toronto and in nearby Waterloo, a passenger plane overshot the runway and ended up in the grass. Nobody was hurt. CTV's John Venavelli Rao on what happened. Passenger video shows the unexpected scene as they got off an overnight flight from Vancouver. Their jet sitting in a field far from the terminal and met on the ground by firefighters. And I felt it pull, right? Mac Bradley and Carissa Landicho were on board, headed to Ontario for a holiday. Having booked their flight on ultra-discount airline Flair for $100 each return. I was in shock because it was an overnight flight, and so I woke up, <laughs> just, what's going on? The Boeing 737, like this one, left BC late Thursday, but at Waterloo's International Airport overshot the runway with 134 passengers and crew on board. Sure enough, we ended up in the field. Fire trucks raced to the scene. Passengers say they weren't told much about what happened and why, waiting an hour to get off and be taken by bus to the terminal. We probably went like 50 to 100 meters off the runway. Um, it's pretty crazy. In a statement, Flair said the plane exited the runway at the end of its landing. There were no reported injuries, adding the safety and well-being of our passengers and crew is our top priority. Other flights in and out of the airport were canceled for the day as officials figured out how to move the jet. Meanwhile, passengers note they got an automated text from the airline asking them to write a Google review of their flight. It was a little bit uh, satirical. The Transportation Safety Board is now investigating. John Venavalli Rao, CTV News, Toronto. Still ahead, prison for a Chinese-Canadian pop star. We got a penthouse suite, we got a crazy view. Chris Wu sentenced in a Beijing court for rape. Canadian Chris Wu, a pop star in China, was sentenced to 13 years in prison by a Beijing court today. He was convicted of rape in one of the country's most prominent Me Too cases. Wu got his start in the K-pop megagroup EXO with a legion of fans. Also for his solo career as a singer, model, actor and reality show judge. In total, 24 women came forward with allegations against him. The 32-year-old was found guilty of raping three women, along with other sex crimes, and faces a $112 million fine for tax evasion. China is likely to deport him back to Canada. And with the World Cup, the exploitation of vulnerable women in Qatar is under renewed scrutiny tonight, including migrant women who find themselves working long hours as domestic servants with little pay. We met Mary from Kenya. We're shielding her identity for her own protection. She was a live-in nanny and housekeeper, and we asked her about her monthly salary. Uh, 1,200 Qatar rials. 1,200 Qatar rials. So you work six days a week, mm -hmm. 11 hours a day mm -hmm. for this family, Yeah. and you got paid the equivalent of about $400 Canadian. How do you live on that amount of money? They provided the food, so you're not uh, buying your own food, so they provide the food, toiletries, and um, accommodation, of course. So I felt like I didn't have my own uh, freedom. And uh, they told me that uh, we have to keep uh, your passport. But during that time, I didn't know it wasn't right for them to keep my passport. 
I didn't have an understanding about that. It was later on that I came to realize that they are not supposed to keep my passport. And Mary shares more of her story, including her time working for a Canadian family in Qatar's World Cup tomorrow night at 7 on W5. And after opposition criticism, the International Development Minister did not make any public statements about Qatar's mistreatment of migrant workers while he was here earlier this week. Today, Harjit Sajjan tweeted he had constructive dialogue with the Qatar government on supporting LGBTQ2I rights, human rights, and improving migrant workers' conditions. He did not directly call out the Qatari government on its record. After the break... I gotta put my money on Canada. Predictions for the big game from a Canadian who knows how to win. Welcome back to Doha and two days out from Team Canada's clash with Croatia on Sunday. We give the final word tonight to a Canadian soccer star with championship pedigree, Olympic gold medalist and TSN analyst Janine Becky. Janine, so much of sport is psychology and nobody understands pressure like you do. The guys play their hearts out on Wednesday, obviously not the result that they wanted, but how do they get past that game and look forward to Sunday's match with Croatia? Yeah, it's obviously a disappointing result as they definitely could have won the game. They had multiple chances to win the game, so as a player you walk away from that being really frustrated that you left three points on the table but at the same time you know a country is behind them so proud of the performance that they put in as someone that's used to that pressure you have to move on really quickly you look back you take the positives from the performance you look at the game many times probably more than you should uh, and you look forward to the next performance and get yourself physically and mentally ready what do you think it means for the future of soccer in Canada which is traditionally a hockey loving country it's massive. It couldn't be any bigger than it is. It couldn't, there's no bigger event for these guys to be on the world stage than here at the World Cup. And for the women, we've done that for the last decade and more. And so now to have our male counterparts on the same level, is it's taking the whole federation to a new level. And it's so important for our Canadian youth to see not just their female idols on the world stage now, but their male idols. You know, you have little kids that are growing up and wanting to be the next Tejon Buchanan and uh, Alfonso Davies and, um, you know, all those guys. In four years' time, Canada, of course, will be one of the host countries of the World Cup. What are you most looking forward to? Just having the beautiful game at the biggest level in our own country is going to be unbelievable. The, the fans that have showed up here in Qatar have been unbelievable. So I can only imagine what it's going to be like in Canada in 2026 for that World Cup. And i got to ask you, Sunday's game, Canada-Croatia, who's your money on? i got to put my money on Canada, especially after that performance. So <laughs> it's going to be a great game. I think it would end up being one of the games of the tournament if the Belgium-Canada game already wasn't. So, um, yeah, we've seen some pretty incredible results in this, in this uh, tournament so far. So I'm going to go with Canada. And live coverage of that Canada-Croatia game will be available exclusively on CTV and all TSN platforms on Sunday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific. And that is a snapshot of this Friday. I'm Omar Sachdina. For all of us at CTV National News, thank you for watching. Sandy is in tomorrow, and I'll be back in the National Newsroom on Monday. For now, good night from Doha, and have a great weekend.